not even an episode anymore. spinnerbait but we love roscoe oh we do love roscoe he is a very special boy and he is a very good boy and we love him we do i'm mike lan and with me as always is bethany how's it going um it's it's going y'all i'm i was just telling michael ann i'm getting my butt kicked a little bit this week at work we are very short staffed and i've been having to pull a little bit of overtime um which is nice because money, but not nice because tired. But I also, I don't know, maybe I'm like about to get my period, which I think I am. I should probably know, but sometimes <laughs> I forget um, when it comes. I'm like, no, I don't know. Uh, I, I start knowing because I like get really tired mm-hmm. and really emotional, which is why I think maybe I'm getting my period soon because um, I've just been really in my feelings this week about, I don't know, how just <laughs> – uh kids this book also i swear this will tie into lock and key but certain things in lock and key as well made me think of this but yeah kids are great man like kids are really the best of us and they're so awesome and they don't get a fair shake sometimes and um and yeah and sometimes i just like like a really sweet kid will just like give me a big hug at work which is the coolest thing ever and i'm just like please don't let this world Harden you. Like, please stay this sweet and this amazing for like kids are so great. And then we send them out into the world and it like destroys them. So, yeah. Anyways, um, I don't know why I'm starting off this podcast on such a deep note, but <laughs> that was so dark. <laughs> it got really dark really quick. But I just like literally this really sweet little boy, just like, you know, when the kids do like the the uppy hands at you. Like, I went to call his name. And he just did like uppy hands at me and I literally carried him in to like the room and he just like was like laying his head like he was the sweetest little kid and I was like kids are great man like if you like if your patients are adults you don't get that you don't get uppy hands you don't get sweet hugs like (laughs) you know what I mean like why do people like kids are awesome and uh and I just love that but also yeah sometimes I just like worry about my little nuggets going out into the world and I'm like the world is this big scary place and you're such a shining awesome star and I want you to stay a shining awesome star forever so everyone out there stay a shining awesome star forever that's my two cents this week but anyways, on a lighter <laughs> note, Michael, how are you doing? Well, uh, <laughs> sounds like you're not having, having a crisis. an existential crisis like I am. I, I'm so tired this week, guys. It's really been a week. You don't know. You don't know. <laughs> the vibes we're bringing into the beginning of this episode are amazing. Yeah. I am. <laughs> I'm doing equally great. <laughs> Yeah. Equally great. Yeah. So that sounds yeah. I love good. it. Um I'm tired <laughs> as well. <laughs> I'm not thinking about how the world r- destroys children, but I am <laughs> I just chews them up and it spits them out. And like I just want them to be 
You know, like, stay golden, pony boy. Like, that is what I want to tell all these children, but it wouldn't make any sense to them. (laughs) So I don't, because they wouldn't understand a reference from the outsiders. (laughs) Yes, literally, should we even understand a reference from the outsiders? I don't know, you know? I think everyone had to read it when we were growing up, honestly. It was a big... Sound off in the comments. Did you read read The the Outsiders? Outsiders? And did you then watch the subsequent movie adaptation? The book is better um essie hinton was like my hero as a wee child because i was like she did this at 16 she still is my hero (laughs) now like thinking about the fact that she wrote and published a book at 16 like i could never oh my god i can't even do that at 31 yeah so to think that she did that then crazy wild good for her you know clearly the world didn't harden her (laughs) (laughs) you go girl we love that for you (laughs) <laughs> and then Ralph Macchio's in the movie. It's a wild time. Did you think that this is where we'd start this episode <laughs> talking about like children and how they're our future and how I'm worried about them and also the outsiders? I don't know. You're are, worried about the children. I'm worried about the children in a different way. I've been thinking a lot about the climate crisis this week and it has been making me feel some feelings. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to quit yeah. my job and live my life however I want because we're all going to die. But the world's going to implode. <laughs> yeah. But it's fine. We're going to be fine. But it's fine. Lock and Cree. Lock and Cree. Lock and Key is a great book. Um, and we're reading it today. And we're going to continue reading Zaradesta novels and discussing them until the world implodes. This is the promise I make right here, right now, and hate spinnerbait, okay? <laughs> That's the hate spinnerbait promise. Hopefully we have. Hopefully the world doesn't implode, honestly, Matt. Like, I want to grow. I really hope not. I want to go to Europe. I like the world. I want to, you know, adopt more dogs. I don't want to ha- have to worry about this. But, yeah. alas. Should we... On a on a happier note, should we tell the people? Should we discuss this? Uh, oh. What we what crazy ass thing we did this week? We did something <laughs> crazy that we can't afford, but we're gonna figure it out. <laughs> Damn straight. <laughs> I want you to know how often Michael Ann and I are like, "Wow, we're so broke right now." Wow, I'm really stressed out. Like I'm always like constantly stressed out about money, pretty much in my day to day life. And yet, what did we do on? Tuesday we bought Taylor Swift tickets in Sweden no regrets I will find the money I will make a way I will figure it out I don't care but you will see my ass at the friends arena in Stockholm next May okay damn straight we go into Stockholm baby we don't know any Swedish we, but it's gonna be a good time we're gonna learn we're gonna learn the two most important things uh I'm going on the trip obviously um and my friend katie uh, will be going on the trip and she is vegan i'm a vegetarian when we went to argentina we made sure we knew how to say vegan and vegetarian in spanish so anytime we go to another country that is one of the first things we learn how to say because that is important when you are eating out in another country is to be able to tell them that you do not eat the meat so there you go that's my travel pro tip for all you vegans and vegetarians out there I didn't even think about traveling while vegan. That must be a pain in the ass. It was a massive issue for the plane, to be honest, because you have to order ahead for any special dietary needs, obviously. And so we made sure that we ordered two vegan um, meals for our plane, for our flight over. And right before, Katie is like, because you check in, when you go to check in like at the 
whatever what is that the gate <laughs> um you double check or whatever and so she's like oh I just want to make sure for this seat and this seat they should both be vegan entrees and the lady's like oh um let me see and then she's like we don't have that down Oh, and no. she's like, but they might have it on the plane. They should have something. And we're like, yeah, we're not going to like hope because then we're stuck in a metal tube for eight hours, you know, and we're going to be hungry. So we went and got ourselves something at the airport and then packed a few snacks with us as well. And then they did have a vegetarian option, but they didn't have a vegan option on the flight. So we were both very happy that, well, Katie more because obviously I can eat, you know, um, dairy and stuff. But Katie was very happy that we did end up getting something at the airport. But Wow. Yeah. That's the, the hardest part is the flights having to like make sure that they have your stuff. And if you have like an actual, I mean, it is an actual dietary restriction. I'm not like saying I think it's a fake thing, but if you had an allergy or something mm-hmm. and you had to do it, I can't even imagine because yeah. So while you people out there with dietary restrictions, I feel your struggle. Yeah. That's tough. That is tough. But you know what? We're going to get sponsored by Dr. Pepper soon, and then we'll be, like, rolling in it. It's like – We could take a private jet to Sweden, but we wouldn't because we love the environment. We are conscious of the climate disaster. (laughs) (laughs) We will fly commercial. Thank you. We'll fly commercial, but, like, maybe first class, you know? Yeah, I mean, we might upgrade. Yeah, all the leg room and the – the free champers that we would we would be drinking mimosas on our way to see Taylor Swift, and I'd be like, "This is the most basic white girl moment of my life." <laughs> okay, okay, everyone. Chapter two. Glad we got that off our chest. <laughs> We're here, guys. It's uh, it's eight spinner bait. I'm wearing my you swim shirt that Sarah Dessen gave us. Yep, baby. I. I'm not wearing it right now, and I feel like I should be. Next time. One of these times we record for this book, we're going to have to both wear it so we can, like, take a picture. Yes. Be cute. Sarah Dessen put my face on her Instagram story. I was flipping through, and I was like, that's my face. Wait, when? Today? today? Because I posted a picture oh, on the this. Hate Spinnerbait story of me in this shirt, and she took a screenshot, put it on her This screen. is how out of the loop I am. I have not been on Instagram, like, all day. Oh, yeah. Here's the Hate Spinnerbait one. Yes, queen. Look at you. You're like, that is my face. I was like, what? <laughs> Let me see. Let me go to see. I, ha- I just saw it, but I now have to see it on Sarah's story, obviously. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's so cute. I love it. Oh, we, we stand. stand. Okay. Well, that's adorable. All right. So chapter two. Chapter two. <laughs> Um, oh, we can do a quick recap of chapter one, I guess. They... Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. We're terrible at our <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Hit us. Uh... Hit us with that recap. That one chapter we read last week. So, our protagonist's name is Ruby. Um, her alcoholic mother has abandoned her, so she has been sent to live with her sister and her husband um, by the state, basically. She is now going to Fancy Schmancy Perkins Day School. And we've heard of that school before, have we not? And then we have. we sure have. And then she met her neighbor. His name is Nate. Uh, he's around her age, and he also goes to Perkins Day. Yes, and that's what you missed on Glee. And that's what you missed on Glee. <laughs> Chapter two. Chapter two. Here we go. We touched on a little bit of what a good chunk of chapter two is about the other day, which is um, 
because I am terrible. Like when I want to start a thought sometimes on a character and obviously I've read a little bit more than the chapter we're currently discussing, I just kind of start going into the other thing. But this is a lot to do with the fact that her mom doesn't like to work and how Ruby kind of had to pick up her slack. So that's where we start here with chapter two. She says, my mom hated to work. Um, Far from a model employee, she had never had a job, at least in my recollection, that she actually enjoyed. So she kind of sounds like she bounces around from job to job until she finds this job, which is called a commercial courier. And essentially, if you leave your bag at the airport or lose your bag at the airport, they are the people that drop them off to you. Um, So then she kind of goes into how that works, which, you know, it's like I said last week a little bit. Again, I alluded to this a little bit that it just like seems super unfair that she goes to school all day and then apparently is doing this up until like probably midnight most nights. And then has to be up early the next morning, go to school all day. So how she is functioning, I do not know. But Ruby, I salute you and your efforts in doing so. Yes. I don't know how she's doing it either. It's crazy. And also, I felt kind of called out because, like, I also have never enjoyed a job I've ever had. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. Yeah, I I did go on a little bit of, like, a – not like a rant, but a a conversation, (laughs) I guess, with my husband about how, like, I'm just – I'm not a go-getter when it comes to my job. I'm not someone who's looking to, like, get promoted or – you know, who wants a job where like, like how people who, you know, like my mom, who's a teacher for years, she had to go home and grade papers and do this and that. And I'm like, I am, a, I do my job. And the second I leave the office for the day, I don't think about yeah. it until the next day like that. Like, that's one of the things I always loved about serving. Yeah. Trust me, there are a lot of things to dislike about serving. But one of the things I always loved was, you know, flexibility of schedule, the fact that you went in, even if you had a really crappy day, you clocked out at the end of the day, you took your tip money and you were done with it. The next day was going to be a whole new different thing. So that's my kind of thing. People that actually like work to advance in their careers, I salute mm-hmm. you. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very good employee. I like being good at my job. I like being someone that can be counted on 100%. But I am not like looking to go start a Fortune 500 company. That ain't me. No. <laughs> like- no. I had like a full crisis. I have one of these crises like once a month minimum where I'm like, it's happening. I'm quitting. I'm going back to serving and I don't care. I can't do this shit anymore. I hate corporate America. I just want to have a flexible (laughs) schedule and see my husband more. And then like a day passed and we were both like, you know, that's probably not. You're like, that wasn't a good idea. That's actually. not smart for our future. <laughs> but yeah, if Dr. Pepper could please just sponsor Seriously. us and we could be those people who make a living off of doing podcasts, I would be really happy. That's <laughs> my <laughs> dream. My dream is to just do this podcast forever. Yeah. So tell your friends. Just do this podcast forever. Tell your friends, you know. Yeah, I creative stuff. I'm down with doing it. like that. Mm-hmm. I will put time and effort into that. I could spend hours doing that. You know, again, I do think about the podcast when we are not recording. Like, like Lane and I are texting each other all the time about different stuff for, you know, the Instagram or just, again, we just really love putting, compiling Taylor Swift lyrics with Sarah Nelson <laughs> yeah. and I think all of you who follow us on Instagram know that. Um, but we think about this literally all the time or other just like dumb things that we think of. And like, that is fun to me. Yeah. Like if it's a creative thing, that's fun. But like, 
So yeah, like this, I could do, I could think about this, you know, quote unquote, if it was my job, but my actual job. No, I don't want to think about Mm-mm. that on my time Mm-mm. off. Thank you. <laughs> I feel like a soulless drone when I'm like click clacking on my computer. like. <laughs> but when I'm doing podcast stuff, I'm like, I am the coolest person in this room, even if the room is only me. Like, look at me now. I'm thriving. Right. I'm thriving. <laughs> Reco- uh, interviewing Sarah Dustin was like the greatest day of my life. Yeah, truly. So. Anyway, we're manifesting it. A year from now, we will both be like, we'll replay this clip and we'll be like, isn't this yeah. so funny? Because now we're so funny. doing this full time. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Remember when we were like the little podcast that could and now look at us. <laughs> isn't that so funny? We used to have to work <laughs> and then do this. <laughs> oh, we'll laugh. We'll laugh. We'll probably cry. We're emotional people. Yes, we'll probably yes, be yes. like, our dreams did come true. Um. So yeah, we'll laugh, we'll cry. It'll be great. 10 out of 10. We love it. Okay, back to the book. We're doing great. Two pages into chapter two, and we've already gone on our first tangent. Um, Okay, (laughs) we said like one thing about the plot. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So she's talking about how it's kind of nice that um, to think about people's lost luggage being delivered back to their house. She like kind of enjoys the, the... symbolism there um she said there's something reassuring about it like things that were lost could be found again as we drove away i always tried to imagine what it would be like to open your door to find something you had given up on maybe he had seen places you had never been been rerouted and what maybe it had seen places you never had been rerouted and passed through so many strange hands but still somehow found its way back to you all before the day even began and like it's just we're starting to see it ruby being like thinking like she's a lost thing that was kind of tossed to the side thinking her mother was is it like a lost thing that someday will come back to her and everything will be how she's always wanted it to be even though that's not the reality unfortunately yeah yeah this is a a sort of strange comparison but reading these um first few chapters i've really gotten this vibe also this is probably the first time i've read this book since this movie has come out and this is not a remotely new movie but it reminds me a lot of ray in the force awakens her sitting there and like marking each day since her family left her and like she doesn't want to leave this like shitty little like hut that she made for herself on jakku which is like this shitty desert planet because she genuinely believes that her family is going to come back for her one day and a lot of the way that my husband just returned from target with the bounty for me Ooh. So, yeah, going back to my Ray tangent, like the way that Ruby talks about like the yellow house and again, like it is not a nice house. It is not a nice house. She was not thriving there, but it's like she keeps being drawn to it. It keeps calling to her because there is this part of her, whether she is willing to admit it, that thinks if she is there, that her mother will return to her. And like that's kind of this next little bit where she's talking about like her mom would do this thing. Like she would just disappear for a few days and she learned like when she came back, like to stop making a big deal out of it. Like I guess the first time she kind of was like, Oh my God, I thought you'd never return. And then she was like, Oh, like this is what she did. And you weren't supposed to make a big deal of it. And so when she finally does, you know, disappear for quote unquote good, like she really thinks, Oh, she'll show up. And I I think a part of her still believes like, Oh yeah, but like she does this. She'll, she'll come back. She's going to come back for me. And like that is just utterly and totally like heartbreaking. And again, also just why, like I wish, you know, there are so many different Luna Darcy. 
things in life my dog is scratching at the door i'm so sorry um that you know you, you need to have a, a license to drive a car you need to do all these things there's nothing that you need to do to become a parent and some people are clearly not meant to be parents and it's just very sad and also why abortion should be legal because some people are clearly not meant to be parents so please let them safely have that choice to not be okay thank you and good day off my off my soapbox on that <laughs> <Yeah>. matter now <laughs> like if you want if you actually care about children's lives abortion should be legal and accessible um obviously i feel like that's like so obvious that it's like why do we even need to say this yeah but alas here we are man we are doing i just want everyone to know how amazing (laughs) we're doing tonight i mean (laughs) this is the smoothest recording has ever gone how have we gotten more unhinged after you know, like the countdown to the wedding, we're like, guys, we're gonna be so good after this. Like, Michael and I will be planning a wedding, and like, I'm gonna like, I don't, you know, whatever. Like, it's we're gonna do so good, and now we have somehow gotten more unhinged. The amount of time we just spent trying to hear each other, we just had to start a whole new recording. So, <laughs> welcome back, everyone. I don't even know what we were talking about I anymore. Can't even guess. Because for us, for you, it's been two seconds. For us, it's been like 20 minutes of technical difficulties. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Um, okay. okay. So we're talking about her mother and what else are we talking about? Uh, how abortion should be legal. How some people aren't fit to be mothers. Um, stuff about the luggage and how her mother would leave. Oh, and the, her mother's boyfriend is where we, like, left off. So we hadn't quite gone to that yet. We Warner. Let's enter Warner, the new beau. Let's not enter Warner. <laughs> <laughs> enter Warner into the novel uh, and our conversation. Not We are not entering him, just so everyone is clear, okay? Okay? We will not be entering oh Warner. Enter ever, Warner stage like- left into this novel. It's so, like when you said we're gonna slide out of your ears. Okay, seriously, we're, focus. We're gonna slide out of your ears. <laughs> I promise everyone right here, right now. I will never say that again. I'm so sorry for that. <laughs> I really would just like to apologize. No one <laughs> even said anything about it, which was the craziest Very thing. Very weird. Like, My mother didn't even text me about it, which I'm surprised. She texted me about road tripping to Chapel Hill, but she did not text me about how weird it was. And I said, we're oh slide on out of your ears. All right. Well, Michael is grabbing the evil spawn of Satan child fur baby that she has. I'm going to talk to you all about Warner. So Warner is mom's boyfriend. And she says, you know, she didn't love work, but however, she did love him. And she talks about how they had this dream about taking this old Cadillac all the way to Florida. And that when she disappears... Um, that she's, you know, pretty sure that maybe her and Warner decided to fulfill that dream. And that's all I got on Warner. So I'm going to wait until Michael Ann returns. While you were away, we entered Warner. <laughs> Thank God. Okay. Okay, fam. What? Warner's here. He's a piece of shit. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, that was pretty much it. I said that there was the Cadillac. Their dream was taken to Florida. Her mom disappears. Maybe that is what happened. We are not sure. But yeah, he's pretty shitty. That's all I really need to know. And now we enter a plot point that will become important, but also our first bit of kind of like 
new technology here. Yes. You know, we're getting into the more modern times in Sarah Dessen land because we mentioned youme.com, which is clearly, I don't know if it's supposed to be a MySpace or a Facebook. I don't know the time this novel came out. It may have been more of like a MySpace era, mm. but we're getting some social media stuff. So this is obviously a fictionalized version, but very, very interesting. And we're going to learn. Uh, so we're headed to school. Well, we're still at. I almost said we're still on muffin time. <laughs> Breakfast time where a muffin is offered. I just saw the word muffin and I was like, it's muffin time. It's muffin time, baby. Muffin time, baby. Oh, um, that's going to be on our next merch draft. There will be a it's muffin time shirt. <laughs> when this is not even an episode anymore. <laughs> I'm so sorry, everyone. Oh this God. is probably going to be edited out and you won't hear it. I might have to but stay in. Know, we're always thinking of you guys even when we know we're probably going to edit it out. I need you guys to know where we're at mentally and emotionally. <laughs> <laughs> we're having a good time. Oh, gosh. Guys, when we come back from Sweden, though, we're going to be a whole new people. <laughs> Nah, probably not. But listen, a girl can dream. A girl can dream. She can really dream. <laughs> okay, here we go. Breakfast, and then they're gonna go to school <laughs> to register for classes, which is where we learn that Jamie is an important person. He's a, a fancy schmancy donor at the old Perkins Day, um, because he is the creator of Yumi.com. And I hope that this isn't the fictionalized version of Facebook, then, because ew. Mark Zuckerberg. But Jamie seems like the nicest person. He does not seem like the person who would create a hit sensation, you know, social media app because he seems like a decent guy. And most of those people are not decent people. So, yeah, she's like, I don't like breakfast. I don't really eat breakfast. Oh, we already got <laughs> We're already long past <laughs> muffin time. I was like, muffin time is past. I mean, there are some other things going on at breakfast, but it, the gist of it is breakfast is had. They head to Perkins Day, and this is where we find out the grand reveal of what yes. Jamie does for a living, and that he's kind of a big deal. Um, you know, like I said, he's he gives he gives the money. He to, gives the money. He's very. I do rich. love the way he's like so modest and like his ex his explanation of what a CEO is. He's like CEO. He admitted, which is really just a big word, a really small acronym, actually, for overseer. And it's like, yeah, like mm -hmm. I, I'm glad that he he knows, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you know, tech guys are usually such like douchey bros. So I, you know what, we love to see a little cutie. Yeah, like thanks, Jamie, for being like an actual decent human being and not a normal dude bro tech guy. So that's yeah. Oh yeah, this is when we find out he says oh you know Cora saves the world and oh yeah we also find out what Cora does kind of he's like hasn't she told you about all her work down at the public defender's office and Ruby's surprised she's like no I didn't know any of that and um he's like okay well that's her story to tell so we'll see you in a couple chapters probably yeah <laughs> And then we kind of get to to find out about the, you know, when we started the novel, we discussed obviously there was an age gap between the two sisters. Cora and her have not really been in contact for 10 years now. 
So what is the situation with that? And, you know, it kind of sounds like when they were younger, Cora was a bit of the protector. And um, she, you know, seems like they were they were really tight. Like they were good sisters. And, you know, she was, like, again, the older one. So I think she just kind of took it upon herself. I think she probably did a lot more mothering than their actual mom did which again is super not fair to Cora I just want to make that abundantly clear that no child should have to be a mother to their younger sibling because their mother cannot you know function but unfortunately that seems to be the the cards that Cora was dealt um she says that she even says something about how Oh, so obviously her mom – it's been alluded that her mom is, you know, uh, an alcoholic. And she says that, you know, Cora was kind of the one who would be good at at dealing with her when she was not in a good good state, when she would maybe be doing some not, um, you know, good things. So she was saying that, you know, Cora cooked for them. She, she loved the, her English muffin pizzas and – Oh, she was saying the basis. So it sounds like the mom may have also been a bit abusive, especially if she had been drinking. So she was saying because Cora kind of took on the role of, you know, she would make sure that Ruby was fed. She would make sure that Ruby was taken care of. Um, if they'd go down to the kitchen at night to, you know, make sure of those things and mom had been drinking a little bit, she usually put herself in between Ruby and her mom. So she was saying, you know, she admits that like she got a lot of the brunt end of certain things that their mother did, including things like slapping them because she was always trying to protect Ruby, which then of course makes you think, what's well, very strange that they are estranged because, oh, that's a weird phrase to say, strange that they are strange. Because clearly it seems like Cora really cares about her little sister. So she then discussed about how she goes off to college and how she says that, you know, she'll 100% keep in touch. And she says that she called the first night as promised and the following che- uh, the following weekend, weekend, checking in and asking how I was doing. Um, you know, she says that, you know, she never asked to speak to their mom. She really was just calling in to check on her. And then they just, like, stopped, uh, you know, a few weeks later, and my sister stopped calling altogether. Then I realized that deep down in the fine print, my name had been on it as well, um, saying that, you know, her contract with her family had expired, and, and she thought it was just her mom, you know, now that she was off at college, that maybe her and her mom wouldn't talk anymore, which, again, would be super understandable, but suddenly – Ruby realizes that maybe she also, uh, you know, is part of the the people that she wouldn't keep in her old life now that she has this new life and this freedom of college. And um, she says, for a long time, I blame myself for Cora cutting ties with us. Maybe because I hadn't told her I wanted to keep in touch. She didn't know or something. Then I thought that maybe she couldn't find our new number. But whenever I asked my mom about this, she just started shaking her head. She's got her own life now. She doesn't need us anymore. She explained, reaching out to ruffle my hair. It's just you and me now, baby. Just you and me. And again, I think this is where a lot of Ruby, you know, she kind of talks a little bit in this chapter about her dad. Like she vaguely remembers her dad when she was really little, but then he, you know, ran off somewhere. No one ever heard or saw from him again. And then I think she feels like she was kind of abandoned by Cora as well. Like Cora goes off to college and, you know, suddenly stops calling, which you know, we might learn more about in later chapters. But as of right now, in Ruthie's mind, Cora abandoned her. And now, last but not least, the one person who was like, oh, it's just you and me has now up and left her. So, yeah, it kind of makes sense why Ruby feels the way that she does about certain things and kind of prefers being a loner and would rather – she'd rather be the one to cut the ties before someone cuts ties on hers, which is why I think 
she moves into this house and immediately is like, I'm going to run away because it's much easier to be the person that leaves than to be the person who has left yet again. Yeah. I also think it's interesting that it says Cora stopped calling once they moved. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, we can kind Mm -hmm. of glean from that, that it might not have been Cora's decision that they stopped talking. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's it. It was pretty sad, honestly. Yeah. And, and, we can see why too she's like so cold maybe feels like a burden because all these people are leaving her and it's implied they're leaving her for like a better life like dad moved to a different state he started a new family cora went to college bettered herself and was like deuces and mom's with her boyfriend right (laughs) who knows so but yeah who knows where that woman is but truly but yeah, that leaves poor Ruby and she feels like she's, yeah, there's a lot over the next couple of chapters where you can tell she definitely feels like she's a burden to people and she wants to minimize her burden on people like as much as she possibly can when in all actuality, like the things that she is doing is not troublesome or burdensome like in the least bit. <laughs> but in her mind, right. like it's very obvious from the trauma that she has experienced, like why she would believe that. Right. chapter three baby have we done it have we finally made it through a chapter oh my god i'm proud of us we made it guys we are just cooking with gasoline now we we are so chapter three it starts with uh ruby going into her first class she this was literature and practice with m conyers um, she says back at her old school, the classes were just like really basic English geometry, blah, blah. But here, everything was very thorough. They really cared about your education. Um, and yeah, when you pay a lot of money, you get better schooling. And that's just America. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. This this school definitely seems to have better resources. Um, yeah, I love yeah. her kind of making fun of these like fancy, like the, her schedule is intro to calculus, global cultures and practices, drawing, life and form. Um, and then, yeah, and this is whatever this literature class. What is it called again? Mm, literature, literature and practice. practice. Yes, I love that. I love the pretentious mm-hmm. class names. But yeah, this is what happens. Yeah. If you go to a fancy schmancy rich school, then you get really good resources. And they say that the playing field is even. This is America, everyone. <laughs> Yeah, the playing field is it's not, not even. even, my friend. We all have the sure. same 24 hours in a day, remember? Okay, it's, it's all the same. We all, you know, if we just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, then, you know, like she talks about. And we can all be billionaires. We can all be billionaires. You know, at Jackson High School, there's one guidance counselor for 400 students. At Perkins Day, probably each and every individual has their own advisor. But we're all equal in this. We all have the same 24 hours in a day. <laughs> right. Kids that go to Jackson have to work jobs. Kids who go to Perkins are like, what's a job? Yeah, what's a job? I have time for all these extracurricular activities and to study for the SATs and yada, yada, yada. Alpha, back, back to this book, though. <laughs> but see, this was a related tangent, at least. So I hope everyone enjoyed it. But we're back in class with Miss Conyers, and she is telling them about what does she call this here? There, she says, as you know, she was saying, walking over to a table 
We're all doing several assignments over the course of the rest of the year. You'll have your research project on the novel of your choosing, and we'll also be reading a series of memoirs and oral histories. And so she wants them to do it's like a, an oral history project, and she walks around the room and gives everyone a word. And she, you know, the, they use the word advice as an example. And she's like, you know, advice, yes, there's the definition of it, but what does it mean? Um, so there's between the, this is an English thing, the, um, the definition and, the, and the, the connotation of a word. Um, obviously, when because of how language works, words change over time and, and can have different meanings. And this is the project that she is assigning them. And of course, because this is a fiction novel, Ruby would get a word that is absolutely perfect for her and fits the theme of this novel, which is family. And that is maybe my favorite part in the movie Easy A, where she was talking about how, like, in books and movies, like, something that they're reading in class, like, always, you know, like, whatever. Um, and so she's like, except for, you know, Huckleberry Finn, like, when's that going to fit in? When someone's going to run off with a big hulking black man? And then it, like, happens. And, and it's, like, literally <laughs> the funniest gag. And I was like, yeah, spot on. Because you're right. Like, any coming of age you know, movie or book does have that trope of like, and the book that they were reading or the assignment that they were assigned in class came back to fit the overall message of this story. So yeah, just great little thing. It's perfect. It's like it was written and planned. Exactly. And we learned the reading of David Copperfield. And we also meet this girl, Olivia, who is also, as Ruby will later call her, a fellow Jackson survivor. <laughs> and she gets the word money, which she also thinks is perfect. Um, and this girl seems much like Ruby. Like, she doesn't quite belong at Perkins Day. She's not someone whose family has a lot of money. And um, honestly, I think we would drive with Olivia. I think we would hang out with her. And I think she would also have some things to say about the Supreme Court on this podcast. So, Olivia, <laughs> I think she would. We we like what we we are seeing of you so far. So we get to meet her. So our first little glimpse of her, and she tells Ruby, "Don't trust the natives." Um, that's her her big piece of advice, her parting advice to her at the end of first period. And so then Ruby heads out of class, saying that today of all days, she can use the excuse of like, "I didn't know where I was going," as she happens to run a little late. And this is where she runs in to her neighbor Nate. And she says that he definitely seems to be kind of um, a bit of a golden boy. She says that, oh, my God. Also, this description of his outfit, it, it was so of the 2008. Like, the, I'm like, yes, this it is really what the popular was. boys in 2008 were wearing. She says, in broad daylight, he looked even more like a jock than the night before. In jeans, a T-shirt with a collared shirt over it, rope necklace around his neck, and thick flip-flops on his feet, even though it was way past beat season. This was literally every boy in my high school who, like, was remotely – even the ones that weren't popular that were trying to be popular. Like, this was their uniform. Yep, they always wore those flip-flops. It was always jeans and, and yeah, like, the rope necklace or the puka shell necklace. And then, yeah, you would wear, like, a shirt – with a button-down shirt open, like some kind of nice Hollister button-down shirt, like over it or something. And it was the rage. Yes. This man sounds like – doesn't sound like my kind of guy is all I'll say about that. <laughs> I find it interesting that we're getting this, like, perfect, blonde, good boy. Hmm. 
love interest. This is like the, our first like golden yeah. haired. Yeah, it's very true. Everyone yeah. else is a little weirdo as we have discussed. And this mm-hmm. is the first like popular boy. And again, like mm-hmm. he seems very sweet and there is more to Nate as we will learn throughout the novel. I mean, again, never judge book by its cover. Like every, you know, obviously everyone has their own story and their own issues and whatnot. Right, right, right. But it is very funny that like this is the first novel where it's the more like stereotypical like perfect popular boy that Mm -hmm. is the love interest when yeah every other novel it's like enter stage left the little weirdo and we're like oh we love our (laughs) little weirdo so yeah our little tall lanky weirdo yes nate does not fit that bill and it's just very even his name nate cross like it's again we talked to sarah in the interview about this like she is just so perfect at naming like they just perfectly fit their character and like he's like everyone else like their names are just like so perfect like Macon seems like a little weirdo like Wes is a little you know what I mean like and then Nate Cross like of course he'd be the golden boy like lacrosse playing you know water polo captain kind of guy um also I just want everyone Mm -hmm. to know I was driving around town the other day as I do and when you get on to one of the major interstates that runs through Georgia um you know obviously like any other place that tells you a city like this many miles like this direction to that city whatever and so living now in Georgia, I see signs pointing all the time to Macon, Georgia. And every time I see it, I go, ew. Like, because it'll be like a left arrow to Macon. I go, ew. <laughs> so I just want everyone to know. Um, also, you know, our BFF Sarah, I feel like I should tell her that the next time we see her, be like, just so you know, that name is like forever ruined for me now because he's a douche nozzle. And to the point that the city in Georgia, I just go, ugh, every time I see a sign that says it. <laughs> Speaking of yucky boys from previous novels. Oh, my God. Oh, perfect segue because yes. <laughs> so after school, you know, Jamie offers her a ride and she's like, no, um, because that's who she is. And or does he offer her a ride? He says he's going to drive her to school. And she's like, I don't want you to drive. Me to yeah. school. And he's like, OK, but I'm going to drive you to school anyway. So <laughs> and so then she's talked. She's after school. She um, starts walking to the quick zip to get herself like a little zip coke and calls one of her people. So the first person she calls in a phone booth, by the way, is um, not too many more novels where that could be relevant. She calls this guy Marshall that she, that sells her drugs that she's sleeping with Mm -hmm. here and there. Yep. Which is like a very standard girl smokes pot relationship with her drug dealer. Yeah. So, because guys who smoke, who sell you weed are, like, the kid in your homeroom, not, like, some (laughs) sketchy, like, but anyway. Yeah, to make it clear. (laughs) Yeah. It's not, like, some weird cartel thing. It's, like, no, this is a guy she takes science class with who's, like, do you want to buy a bag of weed? Yeah. But anyway, Marshall is 18. He graduated from Jackson the year before, and then... He moved in with none other than Rogerson from Dreamland. It's actually Rogerson that sells her her pot, yeah. I think. Which that does make sense because that is what we yeah. do know that he does that. And yeah, yeah, I was like, oh, immediately red flag on this Marshall guy. I mean, everything she said about him so far is kind of a red flag. But because again, it just seems like he very much is like, oh, I'm interested in you when you're around, but when you're not, like, like again, she says she's cool. They're kind of like weird friends with benefits relationship, but like, I don't know. Like, I think right now she's lonely and she would like a little more. But yeah, the second that she's like, he's roommates with Rogerson, I'm like, nope, I already don't like him. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. And basically, how they got together was she went over there to pick up 
weed, but Rogerson wasn't around. She also said Rogerson was all business and little conversation. So we can still see that little grumpy, angsty mm-hmm. boy is still grumpy and angsty. Um, and he was like, oh, let's just smoke a bowl together and like hang out. And then they walked to 7-Eleven. It's obviously not 7-Eleven, but they walked <laughs> somewhere. They got, um, yeah, basically. <laughs> They got Slurpees, and then when they were walking home with the Slurpees all stoned and euphoric, they did a little smoochy poo. Yeah. And, but yeah, he really doesn't give a shit about her, and she's like, you know what? What am I even doing calling you? And then she calls and then she, her friend Peyton, who also, like, doesn't sound yeah. like a great person. Like, both of these people, she's no. calling, like, in a desperate time. And, like, they act like, oh, we've been worried about you. Where have you been? And then she's like, hey, can you do me this one little favor? And both of them are like, nah, I'm good, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like, mm. Marshall, like, barely talks to her. And Peyton's like, oh, I'm, I have to go home. Which, I don't know, maybe she does. Oh, this whole bit, though, is really funny when she's talking to Peyton and she's talking about the rumor Mila Jackson has, like, gone, you know, just, like, off the rails. And she's like, it's terrible, she said, sounding truly aghast. They have you doing everything from committing murder to teen prostitution. Um, And she's like, I've been gone for two days. And so she says, of course I've been sticking up for you, she added quickly. I told them there was no way you'd ever sleep with guys for money. I mean, come on. This was typical Payton, defending my honor vigorously while not realizing that she was implying that I might be capable of murder. Well, I said, I appreciate it. Like, that's what Payton was more offended about in her behalf. The fact that the prostitution and not the, <laughs> the fact that she could be a murderer. And it's like, well, you know, when you compare the two, I would much rather be a prostitute personally. But thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for defending Seriously. my honor. Seriously. Oh, oh my god. That was hysterical. Loved that part. And Peyton doesn't even realize it. She's yeah. Just, like, <laughs> she she's keeps funny. going. She's like, I'm oh, a good friend. So I funny. defended her against being called a teen prostitute. <clears throat> and then when she figures out she's not really going to be able to get anything out of these two people, she devises a plan in her head where she sees uh, Nate and a bunch of Perkins Day kids like in the parking lot. So she's like, all right, I'm just going to start walking away. And eventually I know he will come pick me up. And he does. He swings up and he's like, toot toot, get in. She's like kind of playing this little game. She's like, no, I don't want to. But he basically like forces her to, which she knew was going to happen. It was all, it was all. She's, she's a like, mastermind. I was waiting for it. I was with this entire <laughs> couple pages, and I was like, the soundtrack to this chapter is Mastermind by Taylor Swift. <laughs> yes. Yes. So he we find out that Nate and his father have a company called Rest Assured Executive Services, mm-hmm. um, where basically they're just like a bunch of people's like a assistance like they'll do whatever this they is need very, mail like, stuff task rabbit before task rabbit existed yes. kind of. you know what i mean yeah yeah honestly like not a bad idea kind of don't understand why i don't utilize it did sarah dessen invent task rabbit <laughs> <laughs> what we're hiding oh out is here um are they giving her royalties for that because they should <laughs> they absolutely should if they're not so she asks him to bring her to the 
well, she doesn't really ask him directly, but through her little games, she gets him to drive her to the yellow house. And this is so sad. Yeah. This is really sad. Um, yeah, and then it gets really depressing for a minute. Yeah. She doesn't tell him she lived there, um, but she, when they pull up to the house, she thinks she sees the curtain move in her mother's bedroom as if um, her mother's in there. And so she gets like this rush of hope that she's going to go in there and her mom's going to be in there. So she, you know, opens the door before Nate even stops the car. She rushes into the house. She's like, everything pretty much looks the same. She's trying to convince herself that she wouldn't have left the, the um, blanket smushed up in a corner. And she walks into her, the bedroom thinking she's going to see her mom. And then, you know, reality hits her like a Mack truck. And she finds out that, no, of course, her mom's not there. The window is just broken. Yep. Which, again, it's that wishful thinking. Like, she's so wanting it to be true that she momentarily forgets. Like, when she walks in, she's like, oh, of course, the window. I forgot. Like, I knew that. I should have known that. And it's like, yeah, but you have that hope, like, which is totally understandable. And – yeah. And so sad. And so sad. And I just keep thinking about the fact that Sarah Dessen was pregnant while writing this and, like, clearly probably very hormonal. And I was like, I can't imagine writing this thing about a mother just up and leaving her daughter and this, like, very gut-wrenching scene about it while, like, you are about to bring your first baby into the world. So, like, kudos to you, uh, Sarah, because I don't know how you got through writing this because it was really hard to read. And I'm not a hormonal pregnant lady. So, yeah. I know. <laughs> oh, this is, yeah, this is tough. This is really tough. She says here, um, while he was distracted, I, t- bleh, I took one last look at that window into my mom's room. Talk about denial. Even from a distance and emotion, I can tell there was no one inside. There's something just obvious about emptiness, even when you try to convince yourself otherwise. Ugh. Like, <laughs> that is painful, but so good. <laughs> it's so good. It's, oh, man. Poor Ruby. Poor Ruby. And then they leave the yellow yeah. house. Well, he comes inside. And it's. Well, she's crying. Yeah. And she kind of like yells at yeah, him. Yeah. And he's, he's like, what is going on with this place? This place is. I mean, he's probably like, where the hell are we right now? This is like a slum. Mm-hmm. And. She like doesn't want to. She doesn't want him to know she's crying. She doesn't want him to know. So yeah. So she kicks him out, and then they leave. And when she gets back in the car, Nate is on the phone with his dad, who is basically up his ass about starting to work, doing his little task rabbit tasks. So it sounds like they don't have a great relationship. Honestly, kind of sounds like dad is a little annoying, a little controlling, a little unhealthy. And so he has to go do a job while he's with. I also liked this part where, so yeah, so he has to go do this job. And um, so yeah, so he has to go to Rabbit, And so he has to drive to the mall to meet up with this lady. And this line I just had to underline, which was, um, Vista Mall, a sprawling complex of stores and restaurants. The parking lot was packed. This is another line that is about to be much like the payphone, not relevant, and about a novel or two. Not much longer can you write in a novel, the parking lot was packed to a mall. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so 
Unless <laughs> it's like maybe a mall in Orlando because that's like kind of a different story. All but right. An average American city, you cannot write that line anymore. So that just cracked me up. And I was like, oh, yes, the mall is popping. That's not something that happens anymore. And they run into Harriet, who apparently, you know, uh, this company is called Rest Assured. And Ruby chokes around with Nate because Harriet seems uh, a lot frazzled about everything and not very trusting that Nate's going to get this stuff done. And she's like, that's resting assured. No, Nate said, his voice tired. That's Harriet. <laughs> so Harriet is, is is me. You know, she's like, I'm doing this thing to make my life easier, but is still somehow stressing out about it, which is probably something I would do, to be honest. Uh, oh, yeah, this is where we learn about the carpool. And so, of course, as he's dropping her off, she flashes back to when basically she was told that it was set up. And she's all like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm good. Like, you don't need to do that. I'll, I'll, like, figure something out, which, again, is just so her not wanting to be a burden on someone when it's like, it's so easy. He lives right next door and he has a car and he has to go there anyways. Like, all you have to do is hop in the car. <laughs> but, of course, she's like, no, I can't possibly do that. And then when she gets home, she sees a note, which she can clearly tell is in her sister's handwriting. Um, it probably it's addressed to Jay. So which eh, I love that it's Jay, um, <laughs> even though it's just the letter J and not like the name J. But still uh, from her sister to Jamie, just being like, oh, you know, um, heat up the lasagna. I'll be home. I'll see you. Whatever. And when she sees that again, because she just like feels like such a burden. She's like, the least I can do is heat up the lasagna. And this next bit, I love so much. And this is dogs to a T. <laughs> and, like, Roscoe is such a special boy. Like, he is so special and I love him. Um, she goes to heat up the oven and the dog starts shaking to the point that she thinks he is, like, having a fit. Like, like having a seizure. Like, he is sick. She is concerned. She's like, oh, my God, I'm going to kill their dog. Like, the dog's going to die on my watch. Like, this is terrible. And so she's like... Um, so she, he says, you know, like, uh, is he throwing up? Does he have the runs? No, I said, at least I don't think so. I came, I just came home and Cora had left this note about the lasagna. So I put it in and, oh, he said slowly. Okay. It's all right. You can relax. He's not sick. He's not. Nope. He's just scared of lasagna of the oven. He sighed. <laughs> and it's like, yes, of course the dog is scared of the oven. And he is like freaking out and shaking and Ruby, you know, is all like, I'm not a dog person and I'm going to go upstairs and like, stop freaking out, you weirdo little dog. And then he follows her up there and she kind of like concedes to him and says that when he, um, the moment I touched him, he was still. Oh, Ruby, he likes you. <laughs> I love this little description of when she like goes upstairs and she's sitting in her room for a few minutes and then she like looks up. And Roscoe just comes in the room and she says he was moving slowly, almost sideways like a crab. <laughs> I can just like, picture this little like, I can just picture this little like um, French bulldog yes. like. Like, I 100% you know obviously last episode we discussed the fact that we're pretty certain it's a French bulldog which makes sense because that's Sarah Dustin uh has a French bulldog but um this chapter all I could picture was Carrie Fisher's dog Gary because he was always on the red yes. carpet he was always was like like <laughs> with his little tongue sticking out and I could yes. just picture him like crab like walking Ooh. and I was like oh my god this is like I just in my mind I pictured little Gary Fisher doing this scene so whenever they make the movie 
I know a dog. I think that could fit this role is all that I'm saying. I mean, acting is in his family. <laughs> oh. oh, my gosh. He's so cute. Yeah, like a Boston Terrier, like a, um, yes. a French Bulldog type, one of those type yeah. little dumb idiot dogs. I used to have a Boston Terrier, actually, and oh my he was God. a dumb but idiot. Like, they're so... They're such cute little dumb idiots, you know? They're so cute. Yeah, they're You can't. Oh, man. Yeah, they're so, they're special. They are special. And Roscoe just sounds they like are. he is definitely they special. Are. Oh, he definitely <laughs> is. So chapter four. Chapter four. Look at us. Go. Reading the whole, we're doing it. We're on our third chapter of the night, baby. Bing, bang, boom. Gosh. Bing, bang, boom. Lock and key. Lock and loaded. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> here we go, everyone. Earlier today at work, I said a really lame dad joke. And I was like, that was it. That was my one I'm allotted today. And I just did another. So I broke my own rule. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? Okay. The two che- cheesy jokes today. I'm so sorry, everyone. I apologize. Chapter, Chapter four. four. So she gets woken up by a rumbling loud banging noise and she goes outside it's eight o'clock in the morning on a saturday by the way her and cora both go onto their separate balconies oh i meant to point out that cora and jamie live in wildflower ridge which is yes they do truth about forever mom's development yeah development so jamie is getting his dream pond built in his backyard and he is loving it and Cora and uh, Ruby are not. Cora and Ruby are like, (laughs) are you fucking kidding me? And he is like, it's amazing! I'm just a happy rich guy who's just like building a pond. Rich people. people. Am I right? Seriously. Contributing to the ecosystem. Insane. So anyway... (laughs) He's like a good rich person, it looks like. As yeah, good as he can so be. So we like we're okay with him. <laughs> so she tries to go back to bed, but she's like, this isn't gonna happen, obviously. But she says, back inside I flop back onto the bed, although sleeping was clearly no longer an option. Hard to believe that the previous Saturday I'd been at the yellow house waking up on the couch with our old moldy Afghan curled around me. Fast forward a week, and here I was at Cora's. My basic needs were certainly being met. Running water, heat, food. But it was still strange to be here. Everything felt so temporary, including me. She said she hasn't even unpacked yet. Um, She says that not unpacking and keeping all of her stuff in a bag um, just makes her feel somewhat in control of her situation. She says, which I needed, considering that everything else seemed completely out of my hands. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a fair thing. I think a lot of people that you know are facing something like this would definitely feel the need for control and definitely would maybe have some coping mechanisms that maybe wouldn't be the healthiest to try oh, to yeah. gain that control. I mean, obviously like not unpacking isn't like the most unhealthy <laughs> thing, but like the fact that she like thinks that like everything is temporary yeah. and and whatnot, um, yeah, yeah, and the way like yeah, like it, you know, she keeps turning down simple things like a ride to school, 
is just is all because of that that thing that she just kind of thinks like well i'm not going to be around long enough so why bother Mm -hmm. and yeah it's just really yeah sad yeah as you said earlier like she doesn't want to feel connected or or make a connection with anyone or anything because she's so used to everything just being taken from her like she's never lived in a steady house that was not disgusting and she her mom left her her dad left her her sister left her so she's always also feeling like I think she feels like genuinely worthless. I feel like she doesn't yeah. Doesn't really feel like she adds anything to anyone's lives. And she feels like that's just a fact. Like she is like it is a fact that I am just someone people feel bad for basically. So I'm just going to try to be as small and quiet as possible, but that's not what people want. People like you. Talk to your sister. Yes. It's okay. Yes. And we'll get to this at the end of the chapter about the therapy stuff. But girlfriend, yeah, yeah I think you uh, – they're pretty much most people in Saradessa land need therapy. I mean, I think just in general life, people – a lot of people could benefit from therapy. But of course, she like doesn't th- – she just – it's like I'm fine. Like I'm – like everything's fine. Like the, ha- the living situation, I was fine. And then of course, like when she goes back to the other house, she's like – now that I'm seeing this from the outside perspective, this that's just not good. Yeah. So yeah, but again, that's just it shows how she values herself. Yeah. Like she doesn't think that she, you know, needs therapy because she doesn't value. Like, you know, she would be wasting the therapist's time probably, and she doesn't. You know, her living situation wasn't that bad because, like, why would she be worth a good living situation? Like, she's not worth this nice house and this room and this fancy school. Like, yeah, yeah, she needs to Ruby. Work on your self-worth, girl. Work on that self-love. Yeah. It's really sad, honestly, because it's like she doesn't even realize, really, just the place that she's in emotionally. I'm like, it's hard to see. It's really hard to see. Yeah. So she tells them, I'm not getting a... I'm not getting in the car with this man. I'll take a very confusing and complicated bus. And yeah. they're like, which also, how does the Ritzy Titsy school not have a morning bus in the morning? Is it because all the kids have Ritzy Titsy Porsches? I guess. Yes, that's it's because all I answered my own question. Right, none of these moms <laughs> like work. They all can like drive their kids to school. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, that's very true. They're all just like rich motherfuckers. But so you know, Jamie's kind of fighting back. He's like, "This is crazy. Like, just do it. It's not a big deal." But Cora, I think, kind of understands what's going on like she's kind of being like okay well let's think about what her life was like let's think about what my life was like when I was in a position she's like so she kind of compromises and she's like okay you can take the bus but the second it makes you late you have to do the carpool which is like yeah seems like a compromise but really Cora is just like yeah. okay the conversation's over because this isn't going to be relevant tomorrow so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um Pretty much. She's like, uh, you're a teenager and I know that you're, you say you're going to wake up early to go do that, but you're not. And I refuse you to be late to school because education is important. So there you go. End of that conversation. Yeah. She's like, (laughs) I am your parental supervision now and I'm going to actually be here taking care of you and paying attention. So you'll be going to school. Thank you. So, Mm -hmm. and it, it does happen. I mean, the next morning, the next morning, she accidentally hits the snooze button, so she doesn't have enough. T- <laughs> Sorry, she doesn't have enough time to get the bus. Uh, so- she doesn't. She doesn't have muffin time. Is what you're saying. She doesn't have time to get the bus. 
So she grabs a muffin because it's muffin time. All I could see was the word muffin. And I just <laughs> she runs downstairs for muffin it's time. It's muffin time. It's muffin time, baby. It's happening. Baby. <laughs> so listen, um, Penguin, contact us. We've got some merch ideas. Go. For, if you'd like to help us make Sarah Dustin merch, we would like to make for Lock and Key. It's muffin time. It's, it's muffin time, baby. We'll do a re-release. Well, no, because she's with a new <laughs> publisher now. Can she take her books yeah, back so like probably. Taylor Swift? Yeah, can she? Can it be a parentheses <laughs> Sarah's version? Because I'm so into that. <laughs> Lock and Key Sarah's version. Just really all the books. Like an extra chapter. No, she would hate that. She'd be like, no. She would so hate that. Don't make me write an extra <laughs> I'm sorry, Sarah. We won't make no, you do okay. that. We won't make you do that. You don't that. need any We would chapters. love it personally if you did, but we love and respect you so much as a, as a human being that we wouldn't make you do that. No, absolutely not. <laughs> so from the vault. <laughs> from the vault. Sarah does it from the vault. <laughs> Uh, I don't even, guys. I don't know. We're on hinge this, this week. I apologize. Weirdest things are really cracking me up tonight. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's muffin time. I'm tired. You're tired. Ooh, okay. We're thriving. We are thriving. So she gets in Nate's car, and there's a little weirdo in the back seat. He has braces and headgear. And when I read this, I wondered, have you ever met anybody that had to wear headgear? Seriously, why is this always a thing in like movies and books? I have never in my life. Please let us know. Tell us on Instagram. Tell us in the Discord. Tell us. Send me a carrier pigeon. I need to know. Have you ever actually in your real life encountered someone with headgear? Seriously, do you know anybody? Are you somebody who wore headgear? And if you are, can you tell us your story? What did your teeth look like? What was the headgear necessary for? So, um. He's like this little weirdo. He's like, no eating in the car. It's a rule. And um, he just kind of like razzes her a little bit. She's like, oh, what is this? Your new girlfriend. And Jarvis kind of gives us some uh, information. First of all, we find out. She says, so where do you take him? The middle school? And no, he's a senior. He's just some super smart little weirdo. Yep. So we get some little information about how Nate used to drive Heather to school when they were together, mm-hmm. and she would always get to eat in the car. Pop-Tarts usually, blueberry flavor. Jarvis has a very good memory. Um, so, yeah, we find out that he got dumped. She dumped Nate. It was big news. He didn't even see it coming. And Nate's like, ugh, let's just end this conversation. <laughs> Please. And then they get to school. And Jarvis kind of runs ahead and does his own little thing. And Nate fell, falls into step beside Ruby. And who drives by but Heather in a BMW? And he can't stop staring at her. She looks like a little perfect rich girl. She's got the blonde hair. She's got the cable knit sweater. She's got she's got it all. She's got it all. And got it all. he cannot stop staring at her. He is like every day. Every day that they come into school, he uh, stares at her, and she's like, what the fuck? She's not like, what the fuck? She's like, that's interesting. (laughs) 
I mean, she's a little like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, true, true. <laughs> she's a little bit like that. She's like, get over it, buddy. Um, yeah, she says that she's trying to like keep a low profile as she normally does. Typical Ruby. She's like, don't notice me. Leave me alone. I, I deserve this. And but it's a little bit harder for her to do that at Perkins because it's such a small school and people know that Jamie is her brother-in-law and he created Yumi. And so he's kind of a big deal. Can you actually imagine if you went to school with someone who was related slash like was living in the house of, you know what I mean? Like it's her brother-in-law, which you're like, ah, yeah, that, that could be a close relationship or could not. But she's literally under his roof. Yeah. Um, that had like, you know, if you were there with like Tom for MySpace's sister-in-law in your high school, like, yeah, everyone would be flocking to that person. Like, they, you know, like you would be a big deal. Good old Tom and his white shirt. Good old. Wonder what you're doing now, buddy. Wonder what you're doing. Probably. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, she would be kind of the center of attention because a new kid at a small school does stick out a lot more than a new kid at a school where, you know hundreds slash maybe thousands of people are attending yeah and especially if he created at you know what would have been the most popular you know social media site at the time or whatever yeah also she gets a lot of stares and a lot of attention because nate makes it clear that they're like friends and so everyone's always looking at her like oh who's this girl what's what's the deal with this interesting interesting but then another day goes by where Heather drives by in her little BMW with her little jump Java cup, which like, by the way, having time to go to a coffee shop before school, you must have yeah. the greatest planning because there's just Seriously. no way. There's no way. You are way better at like functioning as a person than I am. Cause like yeah. this girl is definitely probably the girl that wakes up and does full hair and makeup every day and has time to go get coffee and make it to school on time. Tell me what your self-discipline is because I certainly do not have it. Seriously. I wish I did. I wish I did. (laughs) So she finally calls him out. She's like, listen, pining, not attractive, not attractive. Um, She's like, you can't let anybody know that you miss them or need them because then they'll, they'll bail on you, which is like, oh my God, Ruby, baby, Ruby. What Ruby. happened to you? <laughs> you need a hug. You need love. Yeah. Like, you need so much care and patience because, honey, sweetie, boo-boo, this is yeah. sad. This is sad. Connection is a good thing. Letting people know that you want them around and need them in your life is not something that you should be ashamed of. That's It's good. It is a good yeah. thing. But, of course – obviously understandable why she cannot see that and i'm just like when your sister says go to therapy maybe you should go to therapy ruby (laughs) i don't know rubes but uh think about it consider it so he's like i don't miss her and then she calls then she says like this is basic relationship 101 and he says relationship 101 and this is a course you teach and i thought that was very funny all right, so she was saying, um, yeah, which is just a, such a ruby thing for her to say. Like, he considers us friends probably because, again, like she doesn't really do friends because she doesn't do connection because that is scary because people will always leave you because that is what she has been taught. In this next paragraph, yeah. though, I just have to say, 
uh, which she says is crazy because we had absolutely nothing in common. Um, here I was, a loner to the core, burnout personified with a train wreck of a home life. And in the other corner, Nate, the good son, popular guy, an all-around uh, nice, wholesome boy. And then she goes to, like, this list of all the things that he does. Um, she says, you know, that he goes to the senior uh, – Going to the senior class trip fundraiser, contact Nate Cross. Pitching in to help with the annual campus cleanup, talk to Nate. Need a study buddy for upcoming midterms? Nate Cross is your man. And I literally wrote under this paragraph of how this man like does everything and is in charge of everything. I wrote, this is Katie. Because <laughs> this is legitimately <laughs> my friend Katie. Like She cannot sit still in high school. She was president of everything. Did everything in college. Sorority. This, that, the other thing. Now she's in junior league. She's in a run club. She goes snowshoeing. She does this. She saves orphan birds in her spare time. And I'm over here like, today I woke up before noon. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Katie is the one who got us our T-Swizzle tickets in Sweden. She texted us today and was like, FYI, we need to get our hotels booked because if we don't, it's going to be a problem. I wouldn't have done that until like a week before. So you go, girl. <laughs> Thank she is you. the. Mo- I'm telling you, if you ever want to take a trip with someone, she is the person to do it. Like she is just so organized and better at life in every possible way than I could ever dream to be. And I'm very thankful to have her in my life because then I don't have to stress about these things because I'm like, oh well, Katie already took it. Like I would think about it, and like yeah, months from now, Katie have already thought about it. Like that's just the type of person she is. But anyways, um, so she's saying, of course, because it is a small school and, of course, because she's walking in with a golden boy every week, you know, people talk and people are kind of like, you know, he's your man or whatever. And um, and so she's like, you know, um, he, you know, he was not my man um, that, you know, it was clear that like a lot of people, you know, started kind of looking at them. And she says it was obvious that Heather and Nate's breakup had been huge news. And so, of course, the fact that a few weeks later he starts walking in with a girl every day is, like, going to have people. People will buzz. People are talking. Hearts a flutter. Mm-hmm. She also mentions that um, this school is a total culture shift from her previous school, which is what we were just talking about. Um, the teachers are actually happy. The library is big with working computers. The cafeteria has healthy food options and the small class sizes were good because like you actually had to learn. It's just like, Oh my God, this is crazy. So what money can get you versus what Mm -hmm. it makes me mad. Like, I was like, why haven't I watched the next season of the Kardashians? I enjoyed the first season, I thought. And then I started watching it and I was like, oh, because I cannot handle their fucking wealth. I just can't handle even uh, four minutes of it in a fun way. There's just I can't anymore. Um, Sometimes it legitimately just makes me angry. (laughs) It makes me actually angry. Like their wealth makes me angry. So I don't watch it. But. (sighs) <sighs> yeah, that's what Jackson's like. Yep. But and she oh. says she actually has to do work at school. She actually has to pay attention and her grades are suffering because she is not, is not used to this kind of structure. Yeah. And that apparently everyone is really into, she says it makes her feel like a bad person because everyone's like really into like a cause, like doing charity and doing good things. Like every week she talks about the the help table 
and all the different things they're trying to do, which again is awesome. But again, like that's the luxury that rich people have. Like you can worry about other people when you're not constantly worried about how you're getting from your day to day. So it's like, no, Ruby, you're not a bad person. It's just you were trying to feed yourself. So you couldn't worry about feeding the hungry because you were the hungry. Right. <laughs> so yes, it is very nice of them that they're concerned about, you know, the the fight with AIDS and the this and the other thing. But like philanthropy philanthropy is for the rich because the rich can afford to get involved and there are a lot of things a lot of causes i wish i could donate to and whatever but all i can do is like donate my time because i don't have money you know right and what time do i have really and what really do what time do i have you know but i can i don't know shout out some good things occasionally or whatever but mostly i just sit there and get really annoyed at the fact that we don't have a cure for aids that i can't what can i do what can i do about i don't have money (laughs) I don't have any money or skills. I'm sorry. So, alas, I will just be annoyed that we haven't made more progress on, I don't know, helping cure disease. The only thing I can do is go into the woods like Craig from Degrassi and scream at the top of my lungs. <laughs> um, That is a great joke and absolutely a wonderful A-plus reference. Thank you. 10 out of 10. No, <laughs> Thank no. you. Thank you. <laughs> find a way to work in to many future upcoming episodes degrassi references always uh obviously michael ann ranking what are the gayest songs on every taylor swift album because the world has the right to that information and also maybe some rants about the supreme court these are the things i can promise you i can't promise you a lot in life i can promise you those three (laughs) things on this podcast and taylor swift references as well yeah obviously like that's just a given it's a given yeah it's a given Degrassi what a great I also need to know anyone any listeners out there do you all did you all love Degrassi as much as Michael Ann and I clearly did (laughs) I know are we even in like the right age bracket in our listeners like do you guys would you were you guys around for the Degrassi era okay okay y'all so (laughs) Bethany's audio has gone out for, we think, the last time tonight. Um, just so you guys know, it has gone out like 400 times. So since we're almost done, we're just going to wrap it up. Or I'm going to wrap it up and Bethany's going to listen in and text me any thoughts that she has. She does want me to let you know that she loves you all. So mm-hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> where we left off is all these rich kids are like, help, aid, save the animals. And Ruby's like, um, I can't even save myself. So we find out that one person that is clearly a giver who's always at the help table is Heather Wainwright, uh, Nate's perfect ex-girlfriend. So it seems like they were like the perfect high school cop, like duo, um, blonde boy, blonde girl, typical rich kid, blah, blah, blah. Bethany is nodding in agreement. (laughs) So, so she says that, she doesn't really have if I wanted to make friends with people more like me I could have she says she's clearly found the burned out contingent at Perkins Bay they were less scruffy than their Jackson counterparts but easily recognizable they were always leaving the area to smoke pot and then coming back and like giving each other visine and trying to cover it up which is so ballsy like I cannot imagine smoking pot in the middle of my school day on school property like in what world bethany is agreeing she's like she's saying in what world oh look she's texting me okay guys 
She says, same. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I'm just going to put my phone up here so I can see her texts. In what world? She says, in what world? (laughs) So she, she, she's like, yeah, I don't really want to be friends with anybody though, because we know our girls. She likes to be a loner. She is scared of feelings. So, um, she says there was one person at Perkins day that she could imagine hanging out with. And that is of course, Olivia Davis. Um, the girl who went to Jackson as well, but she's always on the phone. She's on the phone in between every class before school, after school, she's got a lot of friends that she talks to and sometimes her parents. I think that is wild. I can't imagine talking on the phone that much at any age, but especially like in between high school classes, that sounds wild. So, I'm not used to talking this much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, we're both laughing, just so you guys know. Um, so, she says that Olivia was always kind of complaining, though. She was always that girl that was, like, rolling her eyes at the rich kids, being like, like, you know anything about poverty, you're rich. Um, she like really has no sympathy for these kids. Like she just doesn't care at all. Um, which makes sense. Yes. She's if Bethany says Olivia is literally us in this scene. And I could not agree more. Like she should just be on the podcast. Honestly, like she, Olivia become a real person and then come on the pod. Seriously. Bethany agrees. <laughs> This is the most unhinged podcast episode we've done. That's a definite. I just want you guys to know. So then finally, Ruby's like annoyed. Annoyed by it. She's like, if you hate this place so much, why are you here? And Olivia is kind of like, do we even know each other? Like, excuse me? Who do you think you're talking to? But Ruby doesn't really back down. She's like, I mean, why are you here? Like, this is what this is just a question. And then Olivia kind of challenges her in the same way. Like, why are you here? And they both realize they really had no choice in the matter. And then this is kind of where Olivia and Ruby like spark a respect for each other. And it's like a silent respect, but there's like nods of acknowledgement in the hallways. So we might see something blossom from this little relationship. Now she is lying on her bed. So we're back to the present. We're back to the present day, which is Saturday morning. The pond's being built in the backyard. And she's like, oh my God, whatever. So she finally goes downstairs to the kitchen and Cora's down there. She's dressed. Her hair is damp. Jamie's still outside. And Roscoe runs up to her because he sees her. And he's like, oh, my new friend. Because they're in love. And... Roscoe is going to break her. Roscoe is going to be the one that makes her learn how to love again. Bethany says he's a good boy, heart eyes emoji. And he is. Yes. Fact. She's now raising the roof. (laughs) Do you kids know what that means? (laughs) Oh God. This is going to be weird to edit. (laughs) Y'all, one more terrible dad joke. I guess you could say my voice is under lock and key. Winky face. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) There she is. (laughs) She's still here, y'all. Don't worry. She's silent, but she's here. (laughs) They're dad jokes. 
Okay, so Cora starts talking to her. She's like, oh, first of all, Jamie said the other day, you know, it's pretty amazing, actually. He doesn't bond with just anyone. And Ruby says, I'm not really a dog person. And he's like, well, he's not just a dog. He's Roscoe. And that is so damn cute. That is so damn cute. That's how I feel, too. I'm like, that's not a dog. That's Zuko. Oh, we got a tip tapper. We got bubbles. My Luna is not a dog. She is certain of it. Yes, facts. She wears little dresses and she is very cute. It's too cute. It's too cute. Willow is not a dog either. She is a demon from hell. So then Cora is kind of like, so, um, so she's like, I think we need to talk about a few things. And Ruby says, okay. Oh God. Ruby says, okay, go ahead. And Cora's like, well, I think it's safe to say this is an unexpected adjustment or an unexpected situation for both of us. It's going to take adjustment. Um, the most important thing is that you get settled here and that routine is the first step to normalcy. And Ruby kind of snaps back. I'm not a toddler. I don't need a schedule. And that's obviously not what she's saying. She's not trying to treat her like a toddler. She's trying to care for her like she hasn't been cared for before. She's trying to help her in this transition. Like she's trying to be a good sister. Is she being like a little clerical is not the right word. Sterile about it? Maybe. But I think it's fair that this is a an awkward situation for everybody involved. Um, except for Jamie, who's just like vibing. So... She says, I'm just saying we should deal with one thing at a time. Obviously, it won't all run smoothly, but it's important to acknowledge that while we may make mistakes in the long run, we may also learn from them. So she's being like very textbook-y with her, and Ruby's not really responding to this very well. She says, maybe I was still in survival mode, but this sounded awfully touchy-feely to me, like a direct quote from some book, which is hilarious that Ruby's like, this feels touchy-feely to me. And I'm like, this feels clerical and cold. <laughs> so I don't know, girl. Um, I just want to hug you and give you a little pat on the head. Maybe an ice cream cone. You need one. So this is when Cora recommends a therapist. And Ruby's like, no, absolutely not. No need. Don't need it. I'm totally fine. And Cora's like, well, I mean, people find it to be helpful. And um, and Ruby's like, I'm just saying, like, you don't need to go through the trouble. Did you say something? Yes. Bethany says she deserves an ice cream cone and 100% needs therapy. Yes. She should go to therapy and then get an ice cream cone or get an ice cream cone, go to therapy, get a second ice cream cone. Yes, exactly. She deserves it. So she's like, all I'm saying is that you don't need to go into a lot of trouble, especially because this is temporary. And Cora's like, what do you mean temporary? And she's like, well, I'm going to be 18. And she's like, okay, you're going to be legally 18, but you obviously cannot care for yourself you how are you gonna do that you need money you need an income you need a place to live like come on you like you're gonna be here for a while basically she's basically saying like you're gonna be here as long as you need to be but ruby's like not ready to accept that message yet um so they kind of get into like a little fight because ruby's like really being stubborn about it and cora doesn't really know how to respond so she's kind of getting like grumpy and Ruby snaps and says, you don't know anything about me. Not a thing. And Cora says, and whose fault is that? So we kind of see like, this is where we're kind of seeing straight in our face that there's obviously a miscommunication. Obviously, 
the reason they don't talk anymore, they've each gotten two different stories. Mom did some weaving and in, in, in stuff here, and that we'll see later, I'm sure. But, oh, I thought you were texting me, but it's my bedtime reminder. <laughs> oh, Lord. But anyway, so she says, look, I'm just saying that all I'm saying is that you shouldn't have to turn your whole life upside down or Jamie's either. Go on as you were. It's not like I'm a baby you suddenly have to raise. And this hits a nerve with Cora. Cora's expression changes. She gets distant. It says she's, it's like she was backing away even while staying in the same place. And she gets up and she's like, all right, so I have um, appointments, but you need some clothes. And again, a fucking Ruby's like, I don't need clothes. Like you need clothes, take the money. So she finally takes the money and she's like, I have an appointment in the morning. So you can just like go to the mall by yourself. And then she leaves. She goes upstairs and Jamie comes inside and he's like, so did you guys get your shopping day all planned out? And Ruby's like, we're not going shopping. And he's like, oh, you're not. I thought there was a girl's day out with lunch and everything planned. And Ruby's like, I don't know. She has an appointment, I guess. Which like, girl, there's no appointment. So Jamie's like, oh, interesting. Picks up on this right away. Goes upstairs to see her. They talk, presumably. It's emotional. But an hour and a half later, dressed and ready to go with Cora's money in her pocket, she finds the, she goes outside to ask Jamie for directions to the shortcut to the mall. And who's outside talking to Jamie, but Nate's douchebag dad, who's trying to get him to like invest in some shit. And he's like bringing up his money constantly. It's like very uncluth. Is that the right word? Uncluth. Yeah. Um, he's kind of like a sleazy, gross guy, but he's obviously also rich. Um, but then he kind of goes on this like gross little like elitist, like like uh, tirade where he's like, you, we pay big money to be in this neighborhood. We shouldn't have to worry about like, like this whole time I was reading this, I'm like, he's just like, we shouldn't have to worry about minorities and poor people. <laughs> that's like what he's saying, but not directly, but that's like what he's, that's what he's saying. He's like, we shouldn't have all the riffraff and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, for that price, you should get what you want, whether it be a sense of security, uh, like-minded neighbors, exclusivity. Like, come on, this is all just like, yes. Bethany says, just say you're racist. And yeah, exactly. It's easier. It's quicker. We can all move on if you just say it. Like, come on, guy. So anyway, so she gets the direction. So she just turns around and walks away and goes to the mall. And um, she walks by the pond and she's like, wow, it's a lot bigger than I thought it would be. And she says, a lot can change between planning something and actually doing it. But maybe all that really matters is that anything is different at all. So I think we're starting, maybe we'll see a little turn. Maybe we'll see... Her mindset start to shift. Maybe we'll see a little beep boop up. I don't know. But <laughs> since it's just me <laughs> with Bethany silently laughing at me, <laughs> um, I want to say thanks for joining us on this absolutely chaotic episode. This episode, it really got away from us. It, re- it started away from us and we never quite caught up with it. 
Um, it got off its leash is all we'll say. So, um, thank you for joining us. I hope you guys stuck it out to the end. If you did, congratulations. And if you didn't, I get it. Um, we'll be back next week covering chapters five. Through- oh, shit. You texted me a bunch of stuff. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Bethany says, let me back up here. Bethany says, there is no appointment, explanation point, explanation point, facts. We have reached the point of the... Yes, we have reached the point of the night where your notifications have been silent. Yes, yes, because of my bedtime. My notifications were silent. And then she also says Nate's dad is a dick. Yes. Yes, he is. Facts. Facts on facts. And I'm sure we'll see more of his charming and lovely personality coming up here soon. So uh, we'll see you next week. We'll see you guys next week. I was going to tell you the chapters, but then I got distracted. Let's see. What chapters are we looking at? So next week we'll be back. We'll be reading chapters five through seven. In the meantime, give us a like, give us a follow, give us a review. Only if it's five stars. I mean, whatever, be honest, but like five stars or nothing, please. Um, And join our discord and you know what? Have a beautiful and lovely weekend. It's Tuesday when this comes out. So have a beautiful and lovely life. We'll see you next week. And we love you. Take care of yourselves. Do a face mask. Get lots of sleep. Drink lots of water. Buy Bethany a new laptop. (laughs) Please. Um, Okay. Uh, I'm going to end the recording. Bye, everyone.